As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Everybody loves a good comeback story. In sports, Chicago Cubs were down 3-1 to one in the World Series 2016 against the then Cleveland Indians. But they rallied back to end the 108-year drought. Come on. And my only question is, what have you done for us lately? How about in business? Let's go back a few years. Steve Jobs. I mean, he's the founder of Apple. He's the guy that gets everything going. He gets fired in 1985. Then 12 years later, the company's tanking. They need him back. They bring him back, and he takes it to a greater level, a new height. How about this? We'll go even farther back. Abe Lincoln, 1858 Illinois Senate race. He's running against the guy, Stephen Douglas. He loses the race. He wants to get out of politics. He thinks he's done. Only to come back two years later and beat not only Stephen Douglas, but two other candidates to become our president in 1860. Where would we be as a country without Abe Lincoln? Who would be peeking through our license plates right now without a blanket? How about the church? What are the comeback stories of the church? Or let me be real clear, who are the comeback stories in the church? Hey, point your neighbor and say, that's you. Point to yourself and say, hey, that's me, because we are the comeback stories in the church. Are you hearing me today? You and I are God's comeback stories. I mean, he has begun a good work. Let me encourage you, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what you did last week, no matter what you did last night, that God has begun a good work in you and he will be faithful to complete it. He's the finisher. He's the one that's gonna complete what he has started. And as I can be passionate about this message, There may be some who are watching online. There may be some, I think there are, who are in here. And he hasn't started yet. But you got to invite him in, just like what we heard with that story about Hunter. Amen? And you got to invite him in. And he wants to do a work in you that you cannot do in yourself. Because God's a finisher. He wants to finish what he started. He doesn't leave us hanging, man. He wants you to achieve new and greater heights in him. How? Well, that's the question. And that's the only question I'm going to answer today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter 5. If you're visiting, we're in a study, and this study has been walking through the book of Galatians. Today, I would suggest to you, is the most important message of all. We've identified today's eight steps. We're gonna get to nine steps. 
This step is entitled maximizing the effectiveness of the gospel. How? Through God's spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. If you've been in church for a long time, through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the focus today. We're going to draw all of our attention on him. He's mentioned 18 times in this book of Galatians. He's mentioned seven times in the scriptures I'm going to read. He's mentioned eight times in the chapter. How are we to change? Through him. The Holy Spirit is God's change agent in you. He is God's guarantee that he's going to finish the work. Do you believe me? That, that's what it's, scripture is saying. And so we've been working through this book, if you've been with us, man. Come on, let's give a round of applause. We've been working through some hard theology, some difficult topics, some things about Israel, and how does it relate to us? And all of a sudden, Paul gets us at the end of chapter 5, and, and he gives us the answer. And so I'm not kidding. I think this is the most important passage for us in this book. And so let me read it to you. Paul writes in verse 16, but I say, walk by the, you tell me, the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And look at Paul's heart. He says, they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit. You're not under the law. He's making it clear. And we've been talking about the law couldn't solve the problem. It could just point out the problem. Now he's like, this is how we solve the problem through Christ. He's the fulfillment of the law. But then he goes down a path. Look at verse 19. Each of us have been there. The works of the flesh, they're evident, man. That means they're for all to see. People can see it. You try to hide it. Sexual morality. People can see it and try to hide it in purity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And just in case you think I haven't listed what you're doing, things like these. <laughs> How about that catch-all? He's just like anything you can think of. And he says, this is the strong part. Please, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there is he's saying, if you continually do those things, if you've never experienced any change, if you don't desire to change, if you have been continuing to be unrepentant and hard-hearted over a long, prolonged period of time, you've got to ask yourself the question, do you really have the Spirit? Have you embraced Christ? That's what he's talking about. It's not a question for the person next to you, it's a question for you. And then he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then look, against all these things, there is no law. Again, he's making it clear, the law and the Spirit, grace and truth. And he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, what you've done is you've crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, I pray for your Spirit to, to move in our hearts through your Word. We've already felt it. We've already experienced it. We've put our requests on the stage before you. 
May you do what I cannot. May you do what we cannot. May you make things clear. May you fill us. May you shape us. May you complete us as our hearts are surrendered to you in this moment, I ask in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. I want to make it easy on us. This is an important message. So I've reduced it to one sentence. We call this a silver bullet message here at High Point. It's coming at you fast. Let's read it together on the screen. Read it with me. We experience greater victory in Christ when we walk in the Spirit, follow the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, and feed the Spirit. Those are the four things right there. We got to walk in it. We got to follow in it. We have to do what? We have to yield to him, the Holy Spirit. We have to feed the Spirit. That's the message. That's the how. That's the secret to lasting change in the Christian life. The Spirit of God is at work in you. That's the secret. And look what Paul says. He says, first off, he uses this metaphor or this analogy, and he uses it throughout the scriptures. He says, you're to walk. And so the picture is that we're walking. If you're a student of the New Testament, you know that sometimes he says we're to run. And so he likes to use different analogies. He uses the analogy run. He doesn't say sprint. It's more like a marathon than a sprint. How many people have ever ran a marathon? Go ahead and raise your hand. You know what it's like. Oh, Pastor Craig, he just ran a marathon yesterday. Can we praise the Lord for the finisher right here? And so he asked me to work that into the message because he wanted an applause. And so I think I did a pretty good job. But in all seriousness, if you've run a marathon before, 26.2, I mean, there's times where you want to stop. And he, one of his goals, not only did he do a, have a great time, but I didn't stop. I just kept going. If you know anything about Craig, he's a perseverer. And, 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 and it takes that. And so that's an analogy that Paul uses. But interestingly here, when he's talking about the spirit, he emphasizes the walk. And so why? Because a walk is intentional. It's that I'm moving. A walk, it's many times, it's directional. I'm going to go someplace and end up in a place. A lot of times, a walk is relational. As you're walking with someone. When my wife Jody says, let's go for a walk, I know I'm in trouble. But she wants to talk to me about something. And a walk is spiritual. Here in the text, he says, walk, walk by the Spirit. And so this is God's Spirit in you that you are walking with him. But then what Paul says, he gives us the promise, and underline this in your Bible, why do we need to walk by the Spirit? Well, then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so the desires of the flesh, he says, are against the desires of the spirit. And so the flesh represents what's in the rearview mirror, your past life before Christ. For me, it was in high school and in college and as a young adult, and I've shared my story with you before, and I'm so glad you didn't know me then. 
And I came to Christ at age 27, and we've taught. Ephesians tells us in chapter 1 that as soon as you turn and surrender to Christ, that you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. And so the flesh is about your former life. It's about your past. It's about your flesh that resides in you now. The fleshly thinking, the things of old. The Spirit is about the new life in Christ, amen? And that when you embrace him in your heart, that God deposits a piece of himself in you for his hope and glory, the finisher of the faith. But that's the old nature and the new nature. So we read in the news and we see online, we see a war. There's a war in Jerusalem. There's a war in the Ukraine. I mean, I can't believe, I'm like, you know, I missed a news day, and then what are we doing? How are we getting involved? And there's these wars that are coming, that are here. The New Testament prophesies it. But I want to draw attention to the war in you. Like, Paul's like, there is a war in you going on right now between the flesh and the spirit, between the old and the new. And if you're like me, doesn't it feel like sometimes you're just being pulled apart? And, and Paul says, and he goes on, I, I don't do what I want to do. And so there's a tug. And it's a strong pull on this one side. Let me show you a picture. It's just as if this man was tugging at my left arm. And then I got this guy tugging at my right arm. Look at this guy. Anybody feel that? Have you? And then, and then this is what happens sometimes. It feels like this guy is, is, is here and, and, and I'm losing the battle. And how many, come on, don't leave me standing up here. How many of you feel like this? Let's get rid of that guy. He needs to work out. But that's the battle that Paul's talking about. And it's a tug in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart for control. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. And there's an inward war that is happening within each of us. That's why he writes in Romans chapter 5, and he makes it clear. Excuse me, chapter 7. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I, I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, he's pointing to the law. The law points out the problem. It doesn't solve it. And then he says, I know nothing good dwells in me, in the flesh. He says, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's, he's being pulled in two different directions. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do now, want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's describing the battle. And C.S. Lewis said it much better than any of us could say it. The great thinker of our day, he says, fallen man or woman. It's not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. No, it's not just like you need a little bit of self-help, a little bit of maintenance. No, he says, he or she is a rebel who must lay down his or her arms. That that's the battle. And so why do we need to walk with the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit? Well, because we don't want to carry out the desires in the flesh. 
And so second, he says, we got to follow the Spirit. And so he uses the term being led by the Spirit. And so words matter in the New Testament. I believe, we believe that every word is inspired by God. And so he's not talking about when you were a kid, how many people remember playing the game, follow the leader. And so there was a kid that was the leader and then you followed him and you went where he went or she went. And then how about the game Simon Says? And raise your right arm and then you would raise and then raise your left and they're trying to trick you and it it isn't like that. That's not what I mean by follow. In the original language, what it means, if we double click on led by the spirit, it literally means to carry along. It means to pull along. It's more of the idea of not what an Indy 500 pace car does, grab hold of the illustration, an Indy 500 pace car sets the pace for the race to get everyone started, and you're gunning your engine to get moving. And then the pace car gets out of the way, and you go your own speed and how you want. No, it's more like a locomotive, And so to be led by is like a locomotive that what does a locomotive engine do? It pulls the cars. And so the car isn't going anywhere without the engine. That's what it means to be led by. That God wants to pull you. That's what it looks like to follow him. It's like he's got a a rope and he's trying to pull you along. And at times we, we just, we're stuck. And and he wants to move us. And then he tells us, this is why we're stuck. It's because of the flesh. And and he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Like they're right before us. Like you know it. The people around you know it. And then he, he lists 15 vices. And so I've put them into, I made a slide to show you three different categories. I didn't make this slide. I've never made a slide in my life. Someone made a slide. And, and the slide is, it shows us the works of the flesh, plural. Come back to that. The works show themselves up in many different ways. Three categories. We have sexual, spiritual, social. This is where Paul's heart, man. And this is where, if we can be honest, we fill this pool. and We're not who we are. We're not what we were. But, but we fall into this trap. Anybody with me? And so the sexual, he starts, sexual immorality, he's talking about adultery. He he, he says next, impurity, and that fits along with the sexual immorality because that's how you feel when you commit that kind of sin. And you feel dirty and you feel ashamed. And, and, And then he talks about drunkenness and orgies, and that's at the end of the list if you're following along in the scriptures. But he pairs drunkenness and orgies. I don't think I need to explain that, do I? But interestingly, if you read the New Testament and you look at what Paul says, three times he mentioned orgies and each time he includes drunkenness. So the impaired life and drunkenness and being out of control, it leads to behavior that does not glorify God. And, and so you say, well, what about pornea? And what about, well, pornea is the Greek word that's used throughout the scripture that describes all other illicit sin, sexual sin. So it's not just adultery, but all sexual sin. And, and he doesn't list it here, but, but notice the catch-all he puts, and things like this. He's just like, anything you can think of. 
It's not an exhaustive list, but it includes all fleshly characteristics and all the things that take us over by our flesh. It's the old life, it's the past. And, and then he says, the spiritual, he says next. And he lists two things. And the first thing is idolatry, and an idol is anything that puts Jesus in second place in your life. It could be a, a passion, it could be your job, it could be your desire to provide for your family as the head of the house. Could be money, could be a career, it could be a lot of good things, but we've always thought a good thing becomes a bad thing when it crowds out the best thing. And so, so he's like, who's on the throne of your life? And, and what are you going for? And then he mentions sorcery. And this is interesting. It's about witchcraft. It's about the other side of the spiritual realm, the dark side. And this word in the original language, it's in the Greek, it's pharmakon. And, and what it means, we, it translates and gives us our English word pharmacy. And so what he's saying is, and what happened in the past and in the Roman Empire, and it's happening today, maybe under a different banner, he's saying that people wanted to escape so they used drugs to dull their senses as a way of escape so that they could cope and that they could worship. And, and so then he lists the social. And you could think of these as relational. He talks about enmity or hatred. And man, we got too much of that in our world, don't we? And he talks about strife and jealousy. You want what everybody else has. And then he talks about fits of anger. We've learned here at our church that what? That anger can show up in red hot anger, which is the outburst, and the ice cold anger, which is, is, is stuffing things down, and one explodes, one implodes. Which one is wrong? Both of them. Which is worse? Whatever you have. I mean, it, it, he's, he's saying it in rivalries and dissension and division, and he's talking about what was happening in the church as there was a group of people who were dividing the church, saying things that weren't true about the pastor, saying things that weren't true about Paul, making up things, saying things, twisting things. Does it happen today? You better believe it. Some of you are sitting here as a result of a division in a church, and, and it breaks your heart what happened. And, and so he's listing all these things, envy. It's ill will towards people. So, so these are the works of the flesh. And so if we're gonna follow the spirit, let's take a moment and look at what the spirit wants to do in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, uh, if you were here at the marriage conference yesterday, didn't, wasn't it awesome to hear from Gary Chapman? I mean, it was just great. And he's such a, you know, I mean, he, he just spoke into us and spoke so much truth. Um, hero of Jody and ours is, you know, it's just, it was just amazing. And, and then he went through this whole section about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, sitting over here, I'm thinking, what the heck, man? He's stealing all my material for tomorrow. <laughs> but interestingly, he focused on a bunch of verses, same truth, but a bunch of verses that Paul wrote through the New I'm going to focus exclusively on Jesus' words. And so John 14 through 16, make note of this, the most comprehensive teaching in the entirety of the New Testament on the Holy Spirit. And so let me give you some benefits of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus. This is what our Savior says. And so he had to leave so the Spirit would come. And so he says the first thing is that the Spirit comforts. The Spirit encourages. 
How many people have felt the encouragement of the Holy Spirit? Amen? And, and, and that's what Jesus said in John 14. He says, ask the Father and he's going to give you the other helper. The, the encourager, it literally means the comforter. And, he, and love, look at this promise, to be with you forever. Man, what God started, he's going to complete. And so the Spirit comforts. Next truth is this, the Spirit teaches. And so we forget things. We have studied the scriptures. We've heard a message in the past. We've, we've prayed and God has spoken. And, and then you forget. And Jesus says, the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will do it. And then he says the third thing about the Spirit is that the Spirit confirms. And so there's a confirmation of who you are and you can sense it and you can feel it. And the Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And so let me be clear. Uh, some more theology coming at us that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't like to draw attention to himself. He's not, hey, look at me. No, the Holy Spirit wants to draw attention to Christ. And so some churches, they focus exclusively on the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be focused on. Other churches on the other end of the spectrum, they, they, they don't talk about the Spirit at all. Both are not good. That what? That the Holy Spirit, we, we got to, and that's why we're drawing attention here. I mean, Paul's talking about the Spirit. It's God in you. And the Spirit will do what? It will confirm. It will bear witness about Jesus. The Spirit wants to show Jesus off to a lost world. The Spirit wants to work in you to show Jesus off to the people in your circle of influence. And so he bears witness. And two more things. The Spirit convicts. It says he, and it doesn't say it. Notice each time. Jesus, it is not an it. The spirit is a he. The spirit is not a she. The spirit is a he. Third person of the Trinity. And that's how God designed it. And, and he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Here it's self-righteousness. It's the spirit's going to do that. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said it like this. He said it best. He said, the spirit's job is to convict. God's job is to judge. My job is is to love. And maybe you're sitting here as a parent and it's your job to love in a way where you're creating an environment. I know that behavior, I, I know. I, but, but the external, you're not gonna change it. It's, it's a problem in the heart. And, and so we just, we just gotta understand that the spirit convicts and then lastly, the spirit guides and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth from the lips of Jesus. He ain't gonna speak on his own authority. He's not off on his own telling you something that isn't true that's apart from God and me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he will bear and speak the things to declare the things to you that are going to come. So here's the Spirit. These are the benefits, if I can say it that way, of God in you. Packaged in a message on the Holy Spirit of how can we change? How can we be more free? How can we experience more freedom? Hey, my faith is guilt-ridden. Hey, my faith is works-driven. Hey, you don't have the Spirit of God at work. And the Spirit of God, there's several things that can happen in the Scripture defines we can quench the Spirit in us. I've quenched the Spirit. 
That means it's like what you do with a garden hose and there's a kink in it. You're standing out there and what happened? What's going on? And then the thing's coming out. You've quenched the spirit. You've turned down the volume. And I, I hate to admit, I, I've done it. I, I've not only quenched the spirit, but the Bible talks about grieving the spirit. And so it's interesting to me the placement of where that verse is. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says that we can grieve the spirit. And in verse 29, it talks about unwholesome speech that comes out of your mouth. And so verse 29 and verse 30 says that we can grieve the spirit. Do you know what it looks like to grieve? You lose someone who's close to you and you can't do anything. You can't function. And we can grieve the spirit of God and render him useless in our life when things come out of our mouth that are not from him, that are not edifying, that are not kind, that are not good. Like we can grieve the spirit. We can quench the spirit. But, but we need to be filled with the spirit. And so that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. And that Greek word there, it means to permeate your entire being. And so what it means to be filled is that it takes control. And Paul uses this illustration, I didn't. He says it almost like you can be drunk on the spirit. And just like alcohol will cause you to do some things because it takes control and you do some things that you don't want to do. Just like you can drink drunk on alcohol, you can get drunk on the Spirit of God. Now, I don't understand that illustration because it uses alcohol. I don't know what that would be like. It's at a point like that when I wonder if my mic is working. <laughs> that was a joke. But seriously... I mean, he uses an illustration that as it takes over, as he, the Holy Spirit, does, it, it, it can do things in you. He can to, to change us and to grow us. And so that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He, he, he wants to do this. And so how? Well, by walking with the Spirit. How? Well, by following the Spirit. How? By yielding to the Spirit. How many people have seen a yellow yield sign? And you know what that means. I got to yield. And then how about, have you ever seen the red yield? I don't pay attention to the red yield. You know why? Because I have a bigger car. <laughs> but in serious, you have to stop. And so some of us need to stop. And so that's the next phrase, that we will yield to the Spirit of God. Now, it doesn't say that in the text, but it alludes to it through this chapter. That, that it says God wants to produce something in you. He wants to produce fruit. And so notice the fruit of the Spirit, singular. It doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. It's not like the works of the flesh. The works, there's just a bunch of them. We saw them. The fruit, why is it important? God wants to manifest fruit in you and it comes in nine different ways. And so he's trying to produce something in you that you can't produce in yourself. That's where he goes next. And so I've made another slide. Someone on our team did. Let's praise the Lord for all those who work behind the scenes here. Do a great job for us. And so... You could put these in three different kinds of baskets. I like to put them in these three baskets of three. They fit together. There's the vertical 
between you and God. There's a, what that produces is a horizontal. And then what that produces is, is an internal or an inward chain. And so again, this could be a whole message on itself. The fruit of the Spirit produces love. It's not by accident that Paul starts there. Love there is agape. It's the you before me. It's the self-sacrificing love. This love, it flows and it feeds all the others. So it starts here first. Interestingly, if you did a comparison of the fruit of the Spirit with 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is, you'll see all of them. And so it's love and it's joy and joy is the inward. It's, it's a supernatural delight in God and his presence and his people and his purposes. And so it's, it's independent of what's happening in the outside circumstances that I can feel joy from the love of God and my relationship with him no matter what I'm experiencing around me. And, and then he says peace, and that's the Hebrew term that comes up in the New Testament that's talking about shalom. and That's the internal, inner peace that we have. It's the inner well-being because we have a right relationship with God. And then, then he talks about the horizontal and it's patience. And that's the ability to remain calm in difficult times. And he, he talks about kindness and that, that I'm going to respond kindly to people even when they don't respond that kindly to me. That, that what? That kindness counts, as my mom always used to say. And, and, and goodness. And if we double click on the word goodness, it literally means the illustration of to go the extra mile. So I'm going to go the extra mile with a friend who is having difficulty. I'm going to go the extra mile with someone in need. So, so that's the vertical and the horizontal. And then it produces an inward. There's it's faithfulness about your trustworthiness with God. Can, can God count on you? And, and then he talks about gentleness. And that's the meekness. And it's not weakness. It's strength under control. And, and so imagine that picture that I showed you of that big strong guy. Remember that? And imagine him holding a baby. That's strength under control. And, and then he says self-control. And self-control, literally, if you double-click on it, it's this idea that you can master yourself. And that you can master your thoughts and your mind and your emotions. and Not in me, in Christ, that, that I have control over these things. And so this is the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is what God wants to produce in us. These are characteristics of, of that we desire that God produces through the Holy Spirit. And so these all have to do with character. Now, I'm going to throw another slide really quick. I'll just throw you this. We've, I've taught on this before, but there's also conduct. So there's fruit of the Spirit, which has to do with character in Galatians. But then I won't go through these, but there's fruit of conduct. And so Paul uses this analogy a lot throughout the scriptures and other writers. And, and what, what they do is they talk about these kinds of fruit that produces a change in conduct. So you got character in Galatians 5, and you got conduct God wants to produce in us. Make sense? Why the analogy of fruit? Think about this. I know something about fruit. I mean, I've added, ate an apple or two. Anybody? 
I consider myself an expert, but honestly, I, I live with an expert. Jody's dad was a farmer, and he owned an orchard in Ohio, and he had all these apple trees, 100 acres, and that was their main source of income that what? That this was a big time of year. It was like the picking and the cider and the apples. And I mean, and, and Jody and I, we used to walk through the orchard. I remember when I was courting her or dating her, and we walked through the orchard hand in hand. It was such a beautiful time. I'm just trying to help some of those here that are trying to find the woman of their dreams. Like, you got to do some things. You, I used to take like a blanket and I'd, I'd take a basket and fill it with sandwiches that I made and we'd sit under the tree and, and we'd think about and dream about our lives together. Why? Because I'm a romantic at heart. Just trying to teach some of our younger men, please. And, 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 and we would talk and I miss those times. But I've never, of all those times we were in the orchard and we were sitting down and looking at the trees and feeling the breeze in our hair, I never once heard a tree groan. I never heard a tree moan. I never heard a tree moaning and groaning and, and whining. Like I didn't hear a tree do that. You know why? Because it's part of their nature to produce fruit. That's what they do. It, they weren't sweating. Like, like that's how God designed them. And I would suggest to you that just like a tree produces fruit, he's designed us by our nature to produce these things. And that's his desire. And it's not for you and for your own consumption. It's for the consumption of others that God wants to change you, that you would be an influence for him. And he wants to grow you. He wants to produce fruit in your life. All those things you're seeing. It's the difference between manufacturing. God doesn't want to manufacture something. It's not like walking through. He didn't say, walk through a factory and this is not, this is a problem. It's fruit. We're going to bear fruit. That's what the Christian life is. How can we bear more fruit? Anybody up for more fruit? I'm I need it. I wish I could stand up here and say, man, I'm telling you, there's the battle. I, I, I feel like I got tugged by the, the flesh within the past two days. Anybody with me? And I didn't exhibit the fruit of the spirit. I've exhibited the work of the flesh that's in the rearview mirror. And, and I got to get before the Lord and it, it grieves me. Have you turned down the dial of the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, you can turn it back up. And so how do you do that? Well, it's the last word. We have to feed the spirit. And so Paul ends and he talks about, again, he comes back to the picture of the metaphor of walking with the spirit. And then he mentions it, that it's about living with the spirit. It's about life in the spirit. That's the picture of the Christian life. And so how do we feed the spirit? Well, let me show you a verse as I invite the worship team up. So the worship team's gonna come up and they're gonna close us and don't, don't, don't put anything away yet. We're not, we're not done. We're, we're nowhere near done. 
And so this is the time right now that we got to focus in. This could be the most important time. How do we feed the spirit? And some of us, what, what we want is we want some new way. And I wish I could say to you, oh, there's this new kind of Christian and this new way to feed the spirit. There isn't a new way. It's the old way. That's what the prophet was told by God and tells us. Look at what the prophet said. Jeremiah says it best. He says, thus says the Lord. He says, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths. He says, and where the good way is. And look how he says, he says, walk in it. He says, ask for the good way, walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. What's the ancient path? I wish I had something new. But I'm going to talk about what the saints have been talking about for years. The ancient paths. I remember we did a series with this title. It's reading the Bible. That's the ancient path. It's, it's the intake of God's word into your life. That is the ancient path. It's prayer. It's communion and fellowship with God. That is the ancient path that God wants us to take. It's it's solitude. <sighs> Sometimes I don't even know if I know what that means. We feel like we're racing and running. And, and solitude is an ancient path. It's service. Service to God is an ancient path. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. Saints have been struggling with this for years. How do I be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's service to God. It's sharing Christ. It's evangelism. It's coming to church. It's worship. This, this is how you feed the Spirit. I don't know. I personally think that's why we get together every week. Because I don't know about you, but I get filled on Sunday. And by Wednesday and Thursday, man, I need a little more church. Anybody with me? I need a little more Bible. I need a little more fellowship. and I need God's people. And the Spirit feeds us. So I'm going to ask us to stand. So put your things away. And I'm just going to ask us to personalize the message. And so we're going to close with communion. And so there's stations that are throughout the worship center in the back and in the front. And so communion is a reflection on what Jesus has done. The bread represents the life, the body that was broken. The cup represents the blood that was shed. And so at this time, I want you to go get one of the elements. And we want you to take it by yourself at your seat. Maybe holding the hand of, if you're here with your spouse or somebody that you came with to pray and we're just going to ask, as you're holding this in your hand, just ask God for greater victory and ask him to reveal. Just ask, Lord, forgive me for not walking in the Spirit. Lord, help me to follow the Holy Spirit. God, God help me to yield in the flesh and, and, and to follow and embrace the totality of the work in your life that you would lead me and. And Lord, I'm asking that you would feed me even in this time right now as you're holding the cup. And then just take it. Respond as you feel led. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into this place now. We've sensed it.
we've felt your presence. We've experienced your power through your word. Would you, Holy Spirit, dwell in this place and dwell in our hearts that you could do the work that we cannot?